Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn and released in 2014. If you haven't seen it yet, be warned that we're going to talk spoilers in this episode. So maybe turn it off now and come back when you've seen it. Anyway, a little bit about the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) And I wrote my own plot summary this week, and I'm very proud. (laughs) And it goes something like this. Earth child Peter Quill is kidnapped by space pirates in 1988 after tragically watching his mother get fridged. 25 years later, he steals a valuable orb coveted by the villainous Kree Ronan and hooks up with a ragtag band of misfits to save the world and deal with his daddy and mummy issues. <laughs> um, literally, this is my review, and the first line of it says, after the, and it has fridging crossed out and says death of his mother. So mine has fridging crossed out, get yeah. fridge crossed out and die of cancer written in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, we did exactly we the did. same thing unknowingly. <laughs> so, oh, um, damn it. It's going to be an episode where I agree, and those are boring. It's no, more fun when we fight. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I really liked about the movie, but, like, I think overall the feeling that I got was that it just wasn't as good as some of the other Marvel movies that I've seen. It was fun, but it wasn't great. And the movie that I felt it um, it echoed the most was the 2009 Star Trek movie. Like, it reminded me so much of it. And it didn't help that Zoe Saldana is basically playing a really similar character. Like and Chris she's playing- Pratt is basically playing Captain Kirk. Yes. But I would argue not as well as Chris Pine does. Um, but, like, she's playing Uhura via Columbiana. You know what I mean? Like Columbiana? The oh, she did an action movie called Columbiana a few years ago. So she, because Uhura's not exactly like a kick-ass action girl. No. So she's doing Uhura via kick-ass yeah. action girl kind of thing. But there's a lot of similarities. And uh, mm. there's a scene at the end of the movie where she leans against his captain's chair. <laughs> yes. And I was like, it's Uhura and Kirk. And she's going to go, I sure hope you know what you're doing, Captain. <laughs> I didn't actually have that. I didn't think of Star Trek 2009, but definitely agree with you on the probably my least favorite of the Marvel movies. I don't think it's my least favorite. I still think Thor is probably, the Thor movies are my least favorites. I think this was a lot more fun and a lot more, um, there were things that I liked in this more than the first Thor movie, which I thought was a mess. Yeah. And I, I definitely liked it more than the second Thor movie as well. Mm. which I know you like. Yeah, I like the second Thor movie. Well, see, I had this experience with Marvel where by the first, between Iron Man and the Avengers, I was sort of vaguely disappointed by everything that came out. Like, so Captain America and Thor, I was vaguely disappointed by. Yeah, I love Captain America, as you know. Yeah, I do. And and, with this one, I was like, it was fine. But I think the real retro sexism put me off. Like, this is the first Marvel movie to be written by a woman, yet it's the most overtly sexist. Yeah, I wondered how much that was in the I writing a, and how much it wasn't. Because I wonder how much is Gunn and how much is – oh, God, I have to look up the screenwriter's name. But Nicole Peralta? Something We're like that. following her on Twitter and I can't even remember. Nicole something or other. Um, yeah, uh, but I – Because I keep of, thinking her name was Liesel, but I don't know why. No. I must have read an article around the same Nicole time Perlman. as I read that. Perlman. I was so close. Yeah, so she wrote – what happened was she wrote it like a couple of years ago. She was in the Marvel Comics writing program and mm-hmm. – she wrote this spec script. For, well, she was working for them. She wrote the script. And then when James Gunn came on, he picked it up and sort of reworked it. So I I wonder how much of the sexism comes from her and how much comes from James Gunn. Yeah. And so I don't want to put blame, but that was it was something that kind of soured my experience. Yeah. Just a little bit. It was still lots of fun. There's still a lot to enjoy. And it's still Marvel, so they maintain a fairly high level of quality anyway. It's more enjoyable than any recent 
X-Men or um, the Spider-Man ones. Yeah, I liked the recent X-Men as well. So. Oh, that's right. We, we argued on that one. Um, yeah, I really loved Days of Future Past. Um, and I actually think I probably like Days of Future Past more than this as well. But um, I think, yeah, the, the thing that got me about it was like I laughed quite a bit. Um, I was surprised by how much I liked um, how much I liked Drax. Yeah, I thought Drax yep. was terrific. Uh, I thought he would be because there wasn't a lot about him in the lead up. Mm. There was much more about everybody else. Yeah, so I thought he would be boring, but he wasn't. He was hilarious. He, he and was Dave great. Bautista did a really good job. I was really pleased with him too. Apart from one very out of character moment, which we'll probably get to later, uh, he was fantastic. I thought he was great. Yeah, I thought he was really fun. I thought um, Chris Pratt did a good job for what he was doing. But like I said, Chris Pine does this better mm. in Star Trek. Like he, because he is the sim, a really similar character. He's a womanizer, and he's you know getting himself into trouble, and then he goes down the path of righteousness and becomes a good. Well, it's guy. it's kind of hard. Harrison Ford did it better. Like it's it's a really well known trope. Yeah, Harrison Ford, I feel like is a slightly different thing, and then this might be what more what he was going for in this. But I felt like this was more like the Kirk thing than the. Than the than Han, Han Solo because Han Solo started out as a real bad guy, mm. whereas he started out. Um, Star Lord started out as like kind of a bad guy, but also not really having much of an option with it. Mm. Like I don't see him as being the kind who would, um, you know, do the sorts of things that Han Solo was doing. He was sort of stuck in it in a sense because he was kidnapped by space pirates <laughs> and forced into it. Yeah, and it seems like he really had like. Uh, he had a real um, appreciation for people's lives and mm. stuff like that more than some of the other characters even in this. Yeah. I thought all the main cast were good. I thought they were solid. Um, I thought Bradley Cooper did a good job in the voice of Rocket Raccoon, um, who was really interesting because he's so bitter. Yeah. Like he was a really kind of snarky funny, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. I was expecting more straight up comic relief, but he's got he's a really complicated little character. Yeah, and I liked that. Mm. Um, I enjoyed Groot because Groot's adorable. He's mm -hmm. like a big attack puppy in space, <laughs> um, but a tree. And all the main characters had something to do, which was nice. Like they all had an arc, which reminded me a little bit of the Avengers, actually, because that's what they managed in the Avengers. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they really gave everybody something to do in this. Nobody was just one dimensional. Yep. Not even Groot. <laughs> yeah. And what else? Yeah. There's just not a moment in it when it, when I went... Yay, this is really great. Yeah, I, I didn't – yeah, it didn't really grab me in the way that a lot of other Marvel movies have where I've just been like, oh, this is so amazing. It didn't have any of the heart and charm of the Avengers. Yeah, the, the heart is something that I mentioned. The, the emotional core of this movie was not very good. Like there weren't any real emotional moments. And the moment um, – because Captain America um, Winter Soldier came out this year, mm. um, that's a movie that – it's sort of having to try and live up to, and it doesn't do that at all. No. Um, the Captain America 2 was so full of emotion and and depth and interesting, complex um, narrative and bad guys and what Steve was trying to do there. Mm. And Guardians was, like, not even a little bit complex. And I know it was supposed to be lighter and more fun, but there were still some really dark things in this, so I don't see why they couldn't mm. have had a little bit of complexity and a little bit of not killing women in there too. Oh my god! Yeah, I've also written down here. I wrote a bit, bit about the backstories of each character, and Drax's back backstory is wife and daughter pre-fridged. Yes, pre-fridged, and yeah, that that's a whole 
other thing. But since that happens before the movie, I'm sort of like, okay, fine. Yeah. That happened. Because, you know, Gamora's whole family was killed too. Yeah. Right? Like, there's uh, that happens to everybody. Right. They even have Rocket say it. We've all got dead people. Like, everyone's got a dead person. It doesn't mean you need to make more people dead. At least in the movie, you don't actually have to watch them die. Um, And... Um, oh, I have a fun fact for you that mm. you may not know, or you may. Peter Quill's mum yep. was played by Laura Haddock. Laura Haddock is the wife of Sam Claflin. Oh! She is British and young and very pretty, and I have no idea why she was cast as his mother in this movie. I, I was what? watching that like, why her? Because she's she'd be very young to be his mum. Well, he's playing like a six-year-old, yeah? Oh, I thought I'm he was only like eight. Maybe eight. I, I'm going on six because that's how old I was in 1988 and I think Chris Pratt is the same age as me. Okay, because the kid doesn't look six. No, he's probably maybe, he looks maybe older. older. I don't know. Um, so I was. I think the kid looked like he was around eight or nine. Okay, so yeah, then, and that would t- tie in with Chris Pratt's age. who He is 35. He's born in 1979. That ties in with him being nine years old at the time. There you go. I'm good with kids' ages. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's one of my few skills. Um, but yeah, I, so I, I just thought it was because she's like 20 something and also British. <laughs> she's playing like Southern. Well, and so she's... my answer to that would be they filmed in London. She's cheap. Oh. And, and I guess they also like, even though she's, you know, bald and stuff, they probably want and they want to have a, like this angelic looking Madonna mother idea. Well, that's what I ended up settling on was that she's somebody who was so unbelievably beautiful that even when they bowled her up and put pale makeup all over her, she still looks really beautiful. Yeah. And the way it was shot in that sort of flashbacky sense and they she, light comes out from behind her like a halo. It's all, it's very like Madonna and child kind of imagery going on there. So it's kind of, it's kind of perfect. I just love that she's married to Sam Claflin because we love him. Yes, I do too. And they're adorable, just adorable together. Yay. But also, I was so glad that Greg Henry wasn't um, Peter's dad because he's so much older. Mm. No, he's <laughs> no. granddad. He was yeah, grandpa. He didn't say – she says that at some point because I believed for the first yeah. couple minutes that he was dad. And I'm like, Me really? Too. Yeah. Another one of these ones where dad is like a grandpa. 60 and mum no. is like 20? But, of course, that was that's going to come into play in presumably the sequel when we track down Peter's dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that line – when they're the, at the very end, I know I'm jumping all over the place and this is terrible. At the very end, when they're at Nova Corps headquarters and Glenn Close with her fabulous hair is like, oh, we found out that you're actually only half Terran and your dad is something much older and more amazing and powerful. And Zoe Saldana goes, maybe that's why you could hold on to the stone for so long. And I'm like, we know we figured that out. Like, I could have sworn that everybody had figured that out. But mm. then I don't know, because I was like, that's so obvious mm. well, and also why are you telling us this but remember though you, you're dealing with marvel so they've got to do wide appeal and they're also trying to get like the tween teen market in there too so if you're like a a lot of their fans going along to this and there was kids in the screening i was in and i know a lot of people are taking their sort of 10 12 year old kids along so perhaps it, they, they're trying to make it easy enough for everybody to understand they've got a very broad audience and also people who don't really know Marvel because judging by the amount of people who walked out early in my screening there's a lot of people who don't really know Marvel who's just going along not a single person walked out of my screening (sighs) early not one although it was a small cinema and you had to pay more to get there because it was premium yeah not one person even this like is, wriggled. We at were the in end of the movie. pre preview. I was in preview. We were in preview screenings because it technically doesn't come out here until next weekend. And I I was in a Hoyts and like probably half 
the cinema left. I'm like, people were leaving as the pre-post-credit sequence was starting. Like, I had to pee so bad (laughs) by the time the movie finished. It, like, practically hurt how bad I had to pee. And I sat through the whole credits just to watch big spoiler here if you didn't get what get to watch the post credit sequence just to watch Howard the Duck. Listen, Howard the Duck was worth it. I'm like <laughs> that is such good use of your licensing. Like I, I actually really liked that post credits and I I thought it fitted with the movie. It did, but at the same time I was like, but I had to pee so bad. Well, yeah, and there was also another part of me that was like, we're not seeing any Ultron, we're not seeing anything else. And the other big disappointment for me, which may not have disappointed everybody else, but as soon as we saw the Kree, I got really excited that we were going to have a Captain Marvel origin. Me too, me too, me too. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's going to be, Carol's going to happen, it's going to happen. And the thing I want most in the world from Marvel is a Captain Marvel movie. And I was, like, I saw the Kree and there's the and that there's an implication that the Korea are involved in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm like, this must be leading to Captain Marvel, dear Lord. And I was really hoping we'd get one and we didn't. And I was kind of like, oh. Well, I didn't think that would be the post-credit sequence because they've never put a not, post-credit oh, sorry, sequence. Sorry, not necessarily in the post-credit sequence, but like I, I just thought we were going to get some hint. No, because they've never done that with a movie that they didn't already announce that they were going to do, right? Mm. We still like, probably have to wait to hear a casting announcement. on. Yeah, Marvel, I, I don't think – or, like, at least the fact that one of those release dates that they've booked will be Captain Marvel. Mm. Like, I, I don't think that we're going to get a post-credit sequence about Captain Marvel till we get an announcement that there's a movie Yeah, I, I, I just thought – well, again, because the last uh, couple of uh, Marvel movies have contained some kind of big surprise or bait-and-switch – I thought that might be the bait and switch. thought there might be some kind of Captain Marvel thing that they might have snuck it in there. But I realised, of course, that there'd already been a day or so of screenings before I actually got to it. And if there were, or if there had been a Captain Marvel announcement, my world, my internet would have gone apeshit. Yeah. Um, there was a, there's a moment that made me laugh really hard towards the end that nobody else laughed at and people looked at me like I was crazy because there was a moment when, um, when Peter was like, oh, I'll keep them in line. And then John C. Riley was like, what, you? And he goes, yeah, me. And I was about to be like, what, do you see any other white men in this group? <laughs> only I can be their leader. I am the only white man. Uh, like, seriously, that was what I yeah. was thinking because that's what it is. Like, he's yeah. the only white guy in the group. He has to be the leader. It's ridiculous. And he's clearly not the best suited to leadership of oh. that group. Um, Did you see Vin Diesel? I saw Vin Diesel. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Um, He was in – I didn't see Nathan Fillion. No, I missed that one too until I I got to the credits. I was like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, I didn't hear his voice, which is weird. Yeah. I I recognize his voice very quickly. He Mm. has a very distinctive voice. But anyway, um, I saw Vin Diesel. He was in Novacore and he's like the – you know when they do the locked in thing when Mm. they're all around the ship? Yep. He was like the third guy to say locked in. Oh, really? It was definitely Vin Diesel. Excellent. Because he has that very distinctive Well, he like Nathan Fillion, he's profile. got a distinctive voice too. That too, but he has this very distinctive profile. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, it's Vin Diesel. And I like whacked my friend and I was like, did you see Vin Diesel? And he was like, no. Was yeah, like, I, I missed that because I was like, oh, it's Peter Serafinovich. Who I didn't – I don't know who that yeah, is. Yeah, we, we had a turn up for the books earlier when Jelly and I knew the name of a obscure actor in the movie and Katie didn't. <laughs> um, He – was the British guy because we, we yeah. had this conversation because I was like, they have hamsters in space, but not raccoons. And and I was like, I don't think it's relevant. It is. How is it? It's it's so weird. It's so weird because why would they have one incredibly specific earth animal and not another incredibly specific earth animal? Like they kidnapped a dog from a, from the Russian see, spaceship and thought that was like a really unusual. Why would they have hamsters? Well, see, my what I picked up on was that 
raccoon is not necessarily the right name because he's clearly uh, some kind of genetic experiment. No, but he's a raccoon that was experimented on. Oh, okay. See, I got the idea that he was like a created species. No, no. Okay. He's a raccoon that was experimented on. And Mm. the only person who recognizes him as a raccoon is Peter Quill because he lived on Earth. So they got him from Earth as a plain old boring raccoon and they turned him into Rocket. That's probably deliberate then. Only people who've lived on Earth would recognize him. So a lot of the Nova Corps might not have lived on Earth. Yes. Why do they have hamsters? I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. They've... They brought hamsters into space. They're culturally different. I don't. I genuinely have no idea. It's just such a weird thing because they, they. I think because because there's those little space hamster things at the beginning. That yes, I know. But they're not. That's the thing. They're not hamsters. Like the whole thing. The whole time he keeps making references to things that nobody gets. Right. Yeah. The whole movie he's doing that. He talks about Footloose and about movies and about raccoons and about all this stuff that he knows from Earth. Yeah. And then some guy who's not from Earth, who is British, um, but who's not from Earth goes, why am I taking orders from a hamster? And you're like, how do you know what a hamster is? I don't know. It frustrated me so much. See, I had a feeling. See, (laughs) I I, I wouldn't – I wonder if, though, he's got a British accent, right? So he's British, so his cultural references are – say he left in the 80s as well. His cultural references are Monty Python. So – your mother but was a hamster. He's not from Earth. Well, he might not be, no. But he has a British accent. He could have learned. He could have learned yeah, English. Yeah, but they from all British. have American accents in space and British accents in space. They're just to. Yeah, but he could. Like, where did he learn the British accent? Did he learn it from Monty Python? I don't know. But I, there I were genuinely other people no with idea. British accents. Right? However, I don't really want to get into this because we'll argue about it for hours. What I was going to say is one of the conceits that I absolutely loved, and it, it's totally silly, and they didn't have to do it, but they did because they wanted to put the music in was the conceit of having left the earth in the 1980s and having all your cultural references be to like the 70s and 80s i loved that yeah that was really great and when he made the the footloose reference was hilarious and adorable and i just loved that i was so excited about that for you (laughs) and also um the way that near the end gamora goes we're just like kevin bacon you're so cute (laughs) i was like oh that's so cute i actually because i saw it in such a big screening i actually think i need another viewing for all the lines I missed because people were laughing at an earlier line. Yeah. Or even well, because people, when I say people, I mean me a lot of the time. <laughs> I, Jamie and I were the only people laughing for a lot of stuff in the movie, which was really weird, I thought. Like, we laughed a lot more than anybody else in our cinema seemed to laugh. Oh, we had, like, small children in our cinema making comments and, like, people, there was something <laughs> really sexist towards the end. I can't remember what it was. And everyone laughed and I, except me. And I was like, oh, boy. Um, I don't remember. I, I don't remember what it was exactly either. It's... It's too late. I think there's – it might have been around um, Drax calling Gamora a whore, which really upset me because yeah. it was so out of character for Drax. Like, Drax is really literal. So, what? E- and he's only known Gamora since they've been in prison. What evidence does he have that she is literally a whore? Why yeah, is he calling really her a whore? It does like, not make it makes any sense. sense. In terms of the fact that he hates her, right? He hates right. Gamora because – um, because he holds her responsible for the death but of his wife why? in the trial because she's working for the guy Not who the killed whore, them. But why the whore? Uh, yeah, like, that, that was, doesn't make any sense. I know. Any, th- there's a million other insult words that would have been appropriate there. But whore, that made no sense, especially not in the context of him being a literal character who only speaks literally. Yeah. 
And then when after that, when he did the uh, the um, finger across the neck, it's a metaphor thing. It was mm. great. Um, but yeah, yeah um, I, he, I don't. Yeah. I didn't understand that either. Although I did quite like the uh, what I call the firefly trope, but I'm not sure what the real name for it is. When Nebula was talking about why she hated her sister or something like that, mm. and then Drax just shot her. Yeah, I, I liked that. I like it when they do that. That's a, um, I call it the Firefly trope because they do that a lot in Firefly, mm. but I'm not, I, I'm sure it existed before that and has another name. Yeah. It was in something, oh, Super, which we saw recently, which is directed by James Gunn. That, it, it's in that, like, and it's Tarantino does it a lot as well. That just kind of just shooting someone in the middle of something or they just, then they just gone. Or possibly it's the, uh, the Indiana Jones one, not with talking, but you know, when he does the, the, um, when Harrison Ford, had the runs and and the ninja was doing the fancy knife tricks and then he just shot him, mm. which is the earliest example of that trope I can think of. But it's not talking; it's in yeah. the middle of when he's doing something else. Yeah, but yeah. still. So yeah, that's true. Um, I, you brought me onto Nebula, who I really liked. I was really impressed with Karen Gillan in this. I was because Lee Pace was kind of he was doing something that we've seen a lot before, like not necessarily by him, but it was not. I didn't think there was anything new in the way Lee Pace was doing it, but I liked. Uh, Nebula, because she seems to be the only hench person who was actually had any brains about her. Yeah, she reminded me of oh, now I've forgotten her name in Kim Possible. There's there's like a bad guy and he has a sidekick and she's much more competent than he mm, is. That's what I felt. Oh, about. She something. Uh, anyway, yeah. she's great. I it, like her. I think we've actually seen it in a couple of things. I believe I feel like the um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies had one of those as well, where the female sidekick was way more competent than yeah, the, the male the, boss, the, the gorilla girl. That's I'm sure that's a trope. Yeah, anyway, she was fine. I, I mean, I liked her, and I just thought it was uh, it was a good break away from her Doctor Who stuff as well. I feel like she wasn't in it enough because she was in the trailers quite a bit, and you barely saw Ronan. Mm. And so I thought she was going to have a bigger role, but she doesn't really get that much to do. Mm. So I was a little bit disappointed. Um, she has a couple of really cool effects shots, <laughs> but other than that, I felt like she didn't really get that much to do. Although she and Gamora had some meaty scenes that made the movie pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, I was trying to work test. out if it did because they were talking about Ronan and stuff at no, the time. No, but, but at the beginning they didn't specifically talk about Ronan. They okay. actually said she's going to mess this mission up and the and Nebula was like, I'm not going to mess it up, you're going to mess it up sort of a thing. So that was their back and forth. So yeah. that wasn't about Ronan. And mm. then later on in the movie they also talk around Ronan but not about Ronan. Yeah, well, anyway, that they, those two were good and their fight scenes were great and that scene at the end where um, Nebula's hanging off the edge and she cuts her own hand off to escape. Yeah, uh, that was cool. Um, I would like to see a movie about Gamora and Nebula. Like, mm. that would be a great movie. That would be it really would. interesting and different to what this movie was, which was just like a million other movies I've seen before, but not as good as Star Trek, which it reminded me of so strongly. Mm. I would love to see that too. I'm sure that – I wonder if there's a comic book of it. I'm Now I want to go and read that. The things I liked best in this movie – were um, I liked the prison break scene a lot. Mm. That was the best action scene in my yeah, mind. Yeah, that was the best set piece as far as um, I was concerned too. I don't know why they bothered telling us the whole plan to infiltrate the base at the end. Oh, that was really weird. They told <laughs> us the plan and it worked? That's ne- That's not how you do it. <laughs> it never works like that. I thought maybe it was another thing where they were like, oh, people aren't going to understand it, so we have to put this scene in. And Mm. I was like, but we all know. We all know. And, oh, coming back to that point before, Mm. even if they didn't tell us about his dad being like a super dude 
in this movie. It's going to come up in another movie anyway. Mm. So why bother telling us this now? Yeah, why, why not let us enjoy that when it comes in movie number two? Like, right. And and some of us will be like, yeah, well, we figured that out already. But the people who aren't aren't going to be like, why didn't they tell us that in the last movie? Yeah. But um, anyway, what was I going back to what I was talking about before? Oh, yeah, they show us the whole plan, which was set to my favorite song in the movie, which was Cherry Bomb, which I loved. Mm. And I was like singing along to the song and not paying any attention to the plan because I'm like, I'm going to see it in a minute. <laughs> Like, why bother? Well, I was sort of not really paying attention either because I'm like, I'm going to see this all go wrong in a minute. And it, yeah. then it didn't. Yeah, it was really. And then the Novacore net thing was just there. So that the mm. uh, uh, there were a lot of things that I felt like, I, I felt like some scenes didn't punch the way they're supposed to. Yeah. That, there was no twist at the end of scenes. And when there was, that wasn't a very good one. Like the one where they have the rousing, everybody talks. I mean, um, you know, um, Peter Quill gives everybody a rousing pep talk mm. and they all stand up and then rocket sort of deflates it at the end yeah and it went on a bit too long and i was like there I was a, no a that doesn't yeah. work there, well, there was a couple of times i want to look at my watch just because of some of that especially the one where they all all the Novacore link up in the big yellow thing to get around the kree ship it just that whole set piece kind of went on a bit too long like there was a lot going on and they kept moving you around but i still kind of was just like hmm I, it didn't really go anywhere and the whole thing was sort of shiny and sleek, but not like there wasn't a lot of depth. I don't think to Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Um, they tried to give it depth by killing his mum, and I'm yeah. like, that's not depth. That's just boring comic book origin story. Mm. Yeah, and I this is one of the first Marvel movies I've watched since I started reading the book, the comic books, and I was really excited because I'd read a little bit of Guardians because they turn up in um, Captain Marvel, which I've been reading with some delight, and it wasn't as good. Like usually, usually they they do as good a job. Like for example, I'm not a big fan of comic book Captain America, and the movies have done a really good job with him. These guys, yeah, they just weren't quite they they weren't quite there as well as they're done in the books, or at least the ones I've read. You were talking about Captain America before, and and it's interesting. Um, Tony's always been my favorite Avenger. Yep. And recently, Captain America's just taken over that so much because his movie, I, I just thought Winter Soldier, and I know I've said this before, but Winter Soldier was so good. It was so good that I can't now watch a Marvel movie without the expectation that it's going to be that good. Uh, well, and the people so... who are raving about Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm like, eh. I mean, it's probably the most accessible Marvel movie in that you don't have to be into it. Since, like, Iron Man, Yeah, I was going to say, uh, probably Iron Man would be more accessible, but yeah. It, it's probably the most accessible because it's kind of got well, that Star wars vibe. Yeah, and it's also the hardest job they've had since Iron Man because since Iron Man, they've sort of had an established universe to work with with people. And this is the same sort of universe, but it's a very different world. Well, I, I feel like this is sort of carrying on from the Thor tradition. Mm. Really, like, because it is literally, like, the last movie that we saw The Collector in was Thor 2, right? We saw the collector at the end of Thor 2. Um, yeah, because that had the red Infinity Stone. Such an unpleasant character. But yeah, the Infinity Stones and the Infinity Gauntlet, <laughs> they told the origin story for that. And I was like, oh, God, it's so cheesy. I'm going to fall asleep. It's it's Lord of the Rings. It's so boring. Like It's basically Lord of the Rings. It's like pieces of jewellery that are too powerful for people to hold on to. And at the end of it all, we're going to have to destroy the Infinity Gauntlet by throwing it into the fires of Mordor. <laughs> like That's how it's going to happen. No, it it actually felt worse to me because it was like under the guise of science, I guess. It mm. wasn't like straight fantasy. And they're like, oh, at the beginning of the universe, there was this. And I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> From that moment, the, I was like, what? This is also the hardest sci-fi of any uh, Marvel movie too. Like it's 
that, so I think that's why they've – I have a feeling that they think people are scared of sci-fi, so they've dumbed it down a little. Yeah, I felt like that a little bit too. Um, the Collector is so unpleasant. I just wanted him to die and I was disappointed when he didn't. Yeah, he's gross. Uh, the slave thing was awful and gross and every time it happened I was just like, Ugh. I sort of appreciated what they were, mm. what they did with her at the end where she was just like, I'm not going to be a slave anymore and she killed herself rather than keep being a slave. But then at the same time that's just fridging. Mm. Like, couldn't she have gotten away or something? Mm. Did she have to die to teach it's us another... all a lesson about what the Infinity Stone mm. does? It's another woman being killed on state on screen as well, which of which there are on and off screen in this movie. There's like at least four women get killed. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's and not and I don't. I'm trying to count the men who get killed. I'm well, not... on and off screen, the number of men and women who get killed is enormous because they destroyed that whole prison base. Mm. Yeah. Everybody on that prison brace is dead. And they're mostly men. And they destroy that Nova city as well without – and they're like, oh, we're evacuating the city. But clearly they haven't had time to. That was so weird because they were like, we're going to evacuate the city. They get nowhere with evacuating the city. Everybody's just and still wandering like, oh, around. And they're like, oh, we evacuated the city. Good work, Peter Quill. You saved us. And then – What? No. And then uh, as well as that, like there was this whole thing where – um. Rocket was being heroic and saving people by shooting the guys out of the sky. And, and I, then the whole ship lands on the city. Yeah. Well, but also the things are falling out of the sky and landing on the city or in the water or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but I figure that they're much smaller pieces, so they're much they're yeah. less likely to do as much damage. I'm, sh- I'm sorry, but there's not time to have evacuated all those people. They just There just isn't. But they didn't get anywhere with the evacuation in the first place. No. They had like 10 minutes to get people organized and get out of the city, mm. at least, like, from the beginning of the fight to when all the stuff started landing on it. Right. And nothing happened. Nobody even seemed to be evacuating. There was no alarm sound. No. It was like they didn't actually – she went evacuate the city and they all went, meh, maybe later. <laughs> like, I was like, what are you doing? I don't know. Um, There was also the really cute but strange thing with the <laughs> little mixed race family at the end. Oh, where, yeah, um, how, where – um, what's his name, that actor? John C. Riley. John C. Riley's family is – his wife and daughter are alien – well, mixed race alien. It was that kind was of sweet. I thought that was nice. But I also, like, you see them get saved by, well, by Rocket because it's in scene conjunction with Rocket. So mm. I think that was supposed to make you feel like Rocket was a hero. But I was like, that's a very vague connection. I don't really think that a lot of people are going to put that no. together, even though it's cute to see their little. And, well, the thing is, we family. love Rocket anyway because he's so, as, as discussed before, he's so delightfully complicated. Like, there's his comedy is always really bitter and you can see he's constantly being underestimated by everybody else when he's clearly the brains of the operation he's the pilot he's the engineer he's He's the mastermind yeah he's the mastermind behind the whole thing he's probably the best leader of the lot of them yeah but he's perhaps gamora but like he's see i would say gamora is the best leader of the lot of them because she's the only one who can make the call She's mm. the only one who goes, this situation, we need right. to do this. She's a, she's way better at keeping them in line than bloody Peter Quill. And side note, I really hated the romantic subplot. That did not make any sense and the chemistry just wasn't there. See, I actually really disagree with that because I don't think it was a romantic subplot. What happened was, in my mind, to what I saw in that movie, Peter went, I want to get in your pants. Mm-hmm. Um, he charmed her with the adorable Footloose story, which I can understand because it was an adorable story. And then <laughs> she was, and then she was listening to the nice music. Um, and then she went, you know what? 
no, because I know what you're like. I'm not going to do this. And then for the rest of the story, there was no romantic sense. What's, what's the line she uses? Pelvic sorcery. I did love that. Yeah, that was really funny. I think that's that's also hilarious. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, I think, I see, I didn't read that as a romantic subplot. And then after that, they were friends. Mm. And he didn't want to leave his friend to die. And they stressed the friend thing a lot. I so hope that my was true. thought is see that's that's how i read it because they stressed the friend thing so much like i feel like if they were really going for a romantic subplot and that's another reason why it reminded me of star trek is because kirk's always flirting with uhura at the beginning of the movie and she's like no i'm no, not interested in you and then she goes off with spock mm. <laughs> like she was dating spock the whole time so i'm like yeah it's like that <laughs> Okay, I'll take that. I, I, will, I will take that. That makes me happier. But it, it might mm. be because I associated this so strongly with Star Trek. I feel like it hits a lot of the same beats. Yeah. Um, a lot of the fight scenes are fairly similar. A lot of the origin story stuff is fairly similar. Um, and the space thing and the aliens that look vaguely, vaguely human but with some bits on them. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who feels like Nondu was kind of a nothing character? Which one was Nondu? His boss captive man. The oh, blue guy. The blue guy. I yeah. felt like his weapon was more of a character his, than he was. Right. The, that was actually a really cool weapon. And the, and they only unleashed it once. And just that was really clever the way they did that. And yeah, I, I suspect they could have done more with him. Like Space Pirates kind of interesting. But it was more of he was there as a vehicle for Peter Quill's development rather than anything else. It wasn't just that. It was the weird. The fact that he had the southern accent was weird to me. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was so featured and important. They put so much effort into his appearance, more than a lot of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I also recently discovered that Michael Rooker was also in Super, which makes me wonder if, like, connection was the reason that he got cast. I believe Sean Gunn was in there. Yeah, Sean Gunn was fine, though. He was a minor character, just like he was in Super. And I don't mind people putting their brothers in movies as minor characters. Yep. Especially when they're Sean Gunn, because Sean Gunn's kind of funny. Because, like, Nondu was a major character, and I feel like he was, or, like, a major secondary character. And I feel like he was pointless, and I don't understand. Like, I feel like also Mm -hmm. there should have been a more consistent accent or something, because if we're to understand that everybody's actually not speaking English... Mm. Which, Which I, guess I believe we were supposed I, to... I also believe that that was the case. Yeah, so I feel like everybody's not speaking English. So why do they have the variety of British and well, Southern and accents that we have? That's here? the point. Like they don't, they don't, they're standing in for something. Like they're using Southern to represent like low working class or something. And like they that. were using British to represent an antagonist Posh. who was still part of the main, yeah, yeah or um, establishment or something like yeah, that. But- British accents are always bad guys, and he's the one like John yeah, he's C. Riley. Antagonist, yeah. John C. Riley is like the down to earth American guy who's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I believe in Peter Quill. And, and you, well, that's how you know you can trust Glenn Close because she's American, and I also has so. the best hair. Um, I thought I really liked. I, I know that it's what Zoe Saldana does. In fact, I think the movie that I've seen that challenges her the most is the movie that I liked her in the least. I mean, that I liked the least. I thought she was great in it, which was Avatar. Mm -hmm. Because the character in that was very, very unusual and very different. She was much more wild and animalistic and, and like, she gave it these great vocal sort of ticks and things to her Mm. as well as physicality, like, through the motion capture. I, too, would like to see Zoe Saldana challenged because she's great. She is. She's really talented and I feel like – this was something that she's done before. And I really liked Gamora a lot. Mm. Um, and I love that I get to see Zoe Saldana in more stuff. And I like always seeing green women because you know how I feel about green ladies. But I felt like even though it was so good, I'd like to see her do something a little bit different. I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I know she's playing um, Nina Simone. Is that correct? The singer? She's doing she? a bi- 
Yeah, but there is some controversy because she is so light-skinned and the actual singer herself was a dark-skinned woman. But I, I would re- I'm with you. She's done this a few times and she's really good at it. And I don't want to take anything away from her performances in this and Star Trek and Avatar and things like that. But I, I would like to see her challenged a bit more. Um, I didn't know about the Nina Simone thing on either front. I haven't heard anything about it. Oh, it's been doing the rounds of Tumblr. Okay. Yeah. I like Zoe Saldana. I'd like to see her in pretty much anything, really. <laughs> the soundtrack for this was pretty great. I actually think the soundtrack I think the soundtrack was the best part it's of the, the movie. highlight. Mm-hmm. And also the, the best scenes are the ones that marry the visuals to the soundtrack. So mm-hmm. not necessarily Cherry the Cherry Bomb one because Cherry Bomb, the song, was so much better than the scene yeah. that I was like singing along the song and not paying attention to what was on the screen. But earlier when Peter's dancing to the song that I didn't recognize very well. Yeah, I, I've actually I've got, I got it favorited on Tumblr to post this week, the list of all what, what's the scenes and the music, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That worked really well. That was a great mm. – and the introduction and the way that like – there was, a, there was a moment when he's dancing along and the title comes up and the mm. title is enormous and he's tiny. Yes, yes, he's just dancing down the bottom. That was Perfect. Like one of the most powerful scenes in the movie to me or one of the most powerful shots. Afterwards, I was like, maybe that's not the best thing, but that was like made me go <gasps> like and made my heart beat faster and made me go, I'm going to watch something really exciting. Um, the other scenes that were really good, the hooked on a feeling was disappointing. Yeah, well, I kept thinking it, it might come back. Such a contrast between this upbeat, happy song and them being brutalized as they come into prison, which I'm sure is the point, and also which is very James Gunn, I think. Um, yeah, given yeah, we watched his earlier movie oh, Super the other week. I um, feel like we should don't watch Slither because Slither is so much better than Super. It. Okay, I'll watch Slither. Fine. Slither is much. much yeah, I know. Than I just Super. I have an Indiana Jones like relationship to snakes. So that's There's all. no snakes. It's called Slither. It's not about snakes at all. There's no snakes in it. Okay. It's then. much grosser than that. Okay. <laughs> sounds It's, it's sounds an great. alien that's like sort of worm-like with teeth. Okay. Oh, there was this moment where I was like, it's going to end on the same song as Sister Act. <laughs> or Sister Act 2, I think, is the one that has Ain't No Mountain High Enough at the end of yeah. it. But it made me laugh really hard because I like this track, and then I would have watched Groot dance to um um. Oh, he was so cute. Um, the Jackson Five. The Jackson Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want you back. Yeah, <laughs> I would watch Groot. I was like, if we're sitting through the credits just to watch more of Groot dancing to Jackson Five, I will sit through the this, credits. This for that. is worth the damage to my bladder. <laughs> and the moment when he paused, when Drax looked around, and then he started again, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's so cute. I just want to take it home. Oh, that was so was cute. Groot was great. Mm-hmm. Um. And I like that Vin Diesel went to the premiere with the I Am Groot t-shirt and his stilts. Yeah, that was adorable. So there's, yes, there were things that I think worked really well. The music part was a really good, strong motif through the movie. And I feel like that grounded us because it's such an alien universe that we were in. They we really needed something. something that grounded us, and that music was perfect for it. Mm, it was because it was it's good. so recognizably Earthian, Earthian, and nostalgic, and all that kind of stuff. And there was definitely a kind of theme to a lot of the music. The very kind of the beats and the, that kind of thing were very grounding. So I thought mm. that was terrific. Um, I liked his attachment to it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the amount of symbols there were. I thought maybe that one symbol would be fine. I, although. Turned out kind of neat that the present was another mix. Yeah, also mix. Because <laughs> you were too. like, how many songs can there be on this? And then there was another one and you're like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Tapes have lots of songs. They go for like 90 minutes. I know. But the thing is that he listened to it nonstop for his whole life. Oh, my life. God. For 25 years. He's had these this one 26. tape of songs. Overall, I think that 
for me, this movie was, yeah, it was shiny, it was fun, but there wasn't any kind of depth. There wasn't a lot of anchor to it. There wasn't something that made me connect really well with anybody in it. Um, apart from Gamora, who would like, who I would like to see more of, but that was because she's Zoe Saldana and she's so good, I think. Mm. Um, so I think that this was one of the sort of middling for me Marvel yeah, efforts. By Marvel standards, this was average. I enjoyed myself and I had fun and there's plenty to laugh at, but I was quite annoyed by the real overt retro sexism of it. Yeah, that, that was got so to weird. Me. I, uh, um, I think this is another one where I had a slightly bad experience watching it because I was in such a big crowd. Of, I was, I had a comic book guy behind me and he was trying to show off to his friends. I would actually like to watch it again and there is a lot to enjoy, but by Marvel standards, it's only it's merely good. It's yeah. not one of the great ones. Like we've had, we've been really spoiled with um, Captain America two and some of the others we've had recently. Avengers. Yeah. See, for me, it goes Captain America two, Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America, and then I will sort out the rest later. Yeah, I like Iron Man, Avengers, and then I'll sort out the rest. But this is probably at the bottom, or it's fighting for bottom place with Thor one. Mm, yeah, I don't think. I don't know. Iron Man two was pretty bad as well. I didn't like Iron Man 2 very much. Yeah, it's I always forget about that once, which is tells you something. <laughs> yes, whereas Iron Man 3 I liked a lot. Mm. Um, Iron yeah, Man we, 3 was really, really we, good. Iron Man 3 was our first podcast that we ever recorded, but we never actually released it. That's probably a good thing. I, I, I really liked it too. It's funny how much – I know that Star Trek Into Darkness had so many problems, but it's funny how much I will forgive the Star Trek fran- franchise just because, like, there's something that about that cast and that – that world that I love so much and it didn't work here. Like I didn't Mm. get that sensation. I didn't get that feeling here. I have a feeling that likable though he is, it's the, it's Chris Pratt was the one character I didn't sort of, that I'm not quite sure that he worked, but I just don't know if it was the team or if it was him or if it was just that the storytelling was a bit weak because I think the characters were all pretty relatable and I, particularly the main five, I just, I don't, I, I'm trying to put my finger on what it is that I didn't quite yeah. like about it, but yeah. I know, I've been trying to do that since yesterday. The thing that is most obvious and easy to cite is the retro sexism, and I guess that's where, where I'm going to leave it. But, but like, there's something yeah. else, right? There's something, something else that doesn't that, connect. That maybe the team doesn't bond quite enough for my liking or uh, having read them in the books and seen how awesome they are in the books, in the comic books, I, I don't know. But I haven't read but the you books haven't and I had the that. same sort of feeling that it mm. just didn't quite gel the way it should. Mm. Um, and I, I think because we're going to talk about the Chris's a bit, I'm just going to talk about the Chris's for a minute, right? Yep. So we've got four Chris's now. we've got now. four of them we can rank. So we've got Chris Pine, Chris Sorry, Evans. Pat, you're fourth. We've got Chris Pine, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt. Um, Chris Pratt seems like a really lovely guy. I just want to put that out there right now. He is amazingly sweet. Um, and I love Parks and Rec. I don't know that this movie really gave him the opportunity to do what he can do because there wasn't a lot. Like when he was sad, I sort of got that, right? Mm-hmm. And he did the comedy stuff really well. Yeah, but we knew he could do that. That's his um, forte. Yeah, but he did the action stuff really well too. Oh, again, I suspect he really enjoys that. There's this wonderful gift that I've shared on on the uh, our Tumblr where he, for the first time he had to shoot a weapon, the director had to keep calling cut because he kept running around going pew, 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 pew. 
with his guns. Um, there's also a, a an interview with him where he talks about how he didn't like getting in shape for the movie. He wouldn't recommend it to everybody. Yeah, and, and he's he going to get fat again now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think um, that, yeah, I, I think he really sort of put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were moments where he did really well, but I don't think it gave him very much opportunity. But the reason I think for Chris that for me Chris Pine is the best and I know he hasn't done as many good movies, but there's something about him that he lets you in to everything he's thinking and feeling. One of my favorite scenes in any movie ever is an incredibly boring scene in Star Trek where Kirk and um, Pike are talking, right? So Pike has caught him in this bar fight and he comes in, he stops the bar fight and it's the expository scene. It's an exposition scene where Pike is like, your dad was on this spaceship, he died, he was captain of a spaceship for eight minutes, minutes and he he sells 1,200 lives, including your mother's and yours, I dare you to do better, that scene. Mm -hmm. And there's every single thing that Chris Pine does in that scene is perfect because he is angry and bitter and hurt and cocky and everything that Kirk is in one scene, right? Mm. So like that, and he doesn't talk very much. So that's what Chris Pine can do as an actor that I don't think Chris Pratt can do. Mm-hmm. He has this, um, he lets you into all of the characters in a life. Yep. Um, and Chris Evans does that to an extent. But again, I don't think there are many actors who can do that as well as Chris yeah. Pine can do it. And he has done some rubbish movies where he is easily the best thing in them because of this ability that he has that mm. is this like magnetic thing where you know what he feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, to me, Chris Pine will always be the best of the Chris's. Fair enough. No matter what shit he does. I think the other thing about Chris Pratt in this movie is that Marvel's notoriously tight-assed. And they've hired him because he was cheap and because he can very quickly convey this everyman goofishness, the Andy Dwyer factor, the, his character on Parks and Recreation. They could have hired someone with a bit more complexity. Peter Quill from the comics is, um, and again, I've only seen him in the context of being with Captain Marvel, but he and Captain Marvel are very similar. So he's got a bit more of that militariness about him and he is a little less on the goofy side and he's more the leader type, a bit more quirky, a little less Chris Pratty. And I think there's this is something of Marvel's tight-assedness in hiring a television actor who can very who's got a very big persona built up around this comedicness. So I think there's that to that as well. And having said that, I feel like Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth are sort of on the same level. Now Chris Hemsworth was really good in Rush, but he had a long time to build up to Rush. Yeah. Right. So he's learned a lot. This is literally Chris Pratt's first big movie. It's the first one he's carrying. Yeah. And he holds down the fort pretty well. So I think he has a lot, like, I think he shows a lot of potential in this. Mm. I don't want to rank him as the lowest one yet. Right. Because he he could, like, if we build up to, if we have him in a couple more movies, like, if if he appears in a Captain Marvel movie and then builds up to Guardians 2. You're really on this thing. I, you have no idea. If I I have an idea. If I keep saying it, a Carol movie will appear. No, no, literally, that was like when I was walking out, I was like, God, I hope there's a Mar- Ms. Marvel Captain, or Captain Marvel, Marvel movie. movie. See, I don't needs mind to if happen. they have a Ms. Marvel movie first where okay. she okay. gets promoted. So, if you once you once you read the comics, you see the the Carol shaped hole in this thing. Carol and Rhodey work together, and they are part of the look like, on the sidelines of the Avengers. She fits in with the Avengers perfectly because she's got these great leadership skills, but is 
has also got different leadership skills to say a cap. And then she also fits in with the Guardians because she's got that the Kree powers that she's got and also she's got her own ship and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, my favourite bit, which is Rocket's fight with her cat. The cat is named Chewie because she is a Star Wars fan. It's a bit like how we don't have any Spider-Man in the Avengers. It just – I can feel the absence. And the longer it goes on, the more I see this absence. So, yes, I, I just want it to happen. I genuinely feel like if the next Marvel movie they announce isn't a woman, I am going to be furious. I'm giving because up. Because I am sick of it. I'm sick to death of, like, Marvel movies about men. There's been, like – a hundred of them, surely. We must, we mm. must be due for a woman. This is getting ridiculous. It's... And the fact that they announced Ant-Man and Doctor Strange next. Freaking Ant-Man, who like, I, I, everything that I hear about this movie just makes me, apart from the casting of Angelina Lilly. Oh, and Paul Rudd. I have a very, very big 20-year-old so- soft spot for Paul Rudd. Yeah, I, I like Paul Rudd, but, like, I just don't like Ant-Man. I don't like oh, anything about Ant-Man, even if they have Hank Pym in the background. And I read something recently about um, how they might end up fridging Janet. Oh, no, no, no. She is pre-fridged. Yes. I, I, sorry, I tweeted this from the Screen Queen's account. She it is might pre-fridged. Not be okay. Okay, so that's that's all um, currently conjecture. Speculation, yeah. Based on the fact that Evangeline Lilly is playing Janet's daughter. Yep. Right? And they they talked about how there was some tragic accident, but that doesn't involving necess- his wife, involving his wife and daughter, both of them were in it. Yeah, and since his daughter's still alive, then perhaps Janet's still alive. Um, and it also might be a tragic accident that involved him as well. So mm-hmm. it could be all three of them were hurt by this accident. We don't know. Anyway. Um, I'm not going yeah. to. But it does seem like there's a fridging in there, but which like, we don't need any more fridgings. We've already had like ten of them. Get away from that. Firstly, secondly, um. No more men. And thirdly, um, no more freaking men. Don't announce another Marvel movie with a man in the lead until you've announced at least one with a mo- woman. And if you're going to mo- announce another one after that, it'd better be better be Black Panther or something. Because like, or if Falcon. there's one more white guy, Falcon movie, taking up the shield, Cap's shield. Well, you know how I'd feel about that. Yeah, like an entire movie starring Anthony Mackie, I would come out of the cinema and I would like faint. <laughs> it's getting. It's it's. Not even getting it's gotten to the point where it's just stupid. Yeah, and we've had like ten male led movies. It's gotta be time. Um, shall we circle back around and rate the movie? Um, I'm giving it three and a half stars. What are you doing? Oh, that's what I gave it. That's really weird because we disagreed so much. We didn't though. We didn't disagree. We had basically the same opinion, which is fine, but some big problems. Yeah. And that's and, and I it's three and a half, which is seven out of ten, which is a distinction in uni marking. <laughs> so, you know. No, yeah. I was like B. That's a B. Oh, Maybe right. Be my- right, of course, because you mark Randy. high schoolers, so I, I haven't met to mark in A's and B's for years. Anyway, I suppose I should wrap it up. Yep. Oh, yep. oh, that I there's actual follow-up from the last show, which I just want to mention, which is that we talked on the last uh, two episodes ago about Snowpiercer and how it was not getting much of a release here in Australia because it did so well in the two cinemas in which it yeah. was released. It is now getting a cinematic release here uh, starting in – probably next weekend with previews and officially on the 21st of August. So that is excellent news. And if you can get along to a, stre- a tour screening, highly recommended. Um, also, Boyhood has a release in September. Oh, yay! We're really looking forward to that one too. That's one we're going to be, review- be reviewing soon, it seems, because September's only about four weeks away. Oh, God. Yep. I just, I just went, oh, God, and leaned my head back against the back of the chair and looked up and literally right above me is Peter Quill's ship. 
Oh yeah, made out of Lego. Guardians of the Galaxy made out of Lego hanging from the vent. And I'm like, wow, okay. That seems about correct. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to a Marvel episode of Silver Screen Queens. And you know Marvel episodes are like Christmas to us. What's the ship called? Give me two seconds to Google it. No, I'll Google it while you do the sum up. Okay, so thanks very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you'd like to find old episodes or learn more about us or get in touch, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com, and hopefully we're getting a new website this week. So yay, very exciting. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash silverscreenqueens. Uh, Twitter, silver, uh, nope. Twitter screen <laughs> underscore queens and on Twitter, Tumblr. Nope. Nope. And on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening, Katie. Did you find it out? This Please. says Guardians of the Galaxy quill ship the Milano is named for Alyssa Milano. Oh, so there you go. It's called the Milano did after Alyssa. leave Earth in 1988, and I kind <laughs> of think that's gorgeous. Fair yes. enough. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.